Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Did you have as much trouble as I did getting to uh, the service this morning? Traffic, Easter traffic is quite amazing here. I've never seen anything like it. I saw, I saw one church, I drove by one church, and there was like a line of cars that was just like a mile long with their blinkers on, and they had the police out there and everything. And I just thought, that's so awesome. That's so awesome. John chapter 20, and want to consider with you such an awesome topic that could be so easily misunderstood or not understood properly. And if we turn to John chapter 20, I want to just, I want to say three things this morning, three things. And the main point I want to make this morning here is that the most powerful thing about the resurrection are the witnesses, the witnesses. Because the spread of Christianity in the first century wasn't among people that were gullible or that were easily believing. They were doubters. They were doubters. And not just Thomas. Because God always intended for the resurrection to be known and to be believed through human witnesses. And that's the first point I want to make. The second point I want to make today, I want to talk about doubt. I want to talk about real doubt. I want to talk about something that we all face, and every one of us in this room If you've never doubted, I'd love to meet you. Uh, You're an amazing person if you've never doubted anything in your life. And I'm not talking about just doubting the resurrection. I'm talking about doubting just in details of your life, the very foundations of your life. And then the third thing I want to talk about is that we are windows. We are, as Christians, are windows. Okay. So let's turn to verse verse 1. And I'm so happy to be here with you this morning. Uh, I just love what God's doing in our midst and just love each one of you here. It's just so awesome. And yesterday we were at Galveston at the beach, just having such an awesome time. Never had an Easter Easter Saturday at the beach. That's a new one. We're new to Texas, by the way. My wife and I are new here, and and uh, so we're just loving the Texas culture here uh, and the Texas weather. My brother-in-law is here, and and I just the way I ext- explained the weather to him was is that it's been summer since we've gotten here. So now we got here in July. So <laughs> we're waiting for some cold weather. Cold for us is like 20, 30 below degrees. So verse, verse 1, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. I saw a picture this morning. I wanted to just like a break there. I just saw a picture, a beautiful picture of our, of our team in Oman. We have a mission, mission team in Oman, which is a Middle Eastern country. And it's just, you cannot, you cannot have, there's just no religious freedom there. And our team was on a beach uh, with the sun rising and they were just praying together. And I thought, this is so incredible that we are, our church, our little church is part of something that is reaching the whole world. It's so awesome. She came while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And I like how John puts that in there. John always is putting himself in there like, Jesus loved me. 
and said to them, I'm the guy that Jesus loved. I'm the one. And I like that. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Mary did not believe initially that the resurrection had happened. She assumed that the body was moved. And this is really interesting evidence to see that the disciples were really slow in believing the resurrection. Many of them did not even re- remember what God or what Jesus had said to them about the plan, the resurrection plan, the crucifixion, the resurrection plan. So we can see right at the beginning that these disciples were not easily believing people. They were skeptical and they were not gullible. And in verse 3, Let's look at verse 3 here. And so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple, and again, here's John. I can tell that John was a little bit of a competitive man, wasn't he? And the other disciple outran Peter (laughs) and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Verse 6. Verse 6, I'm sorry, I had that. We got a new slide system going here. So Then Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, went in, and he saw, and he believed. For For... As yet they did not understand the scriptures that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciple went back to the then the disciples went back to their homes. And look how this ends. This is really a sad response, a sad initial response to the rec- resurrection. This is a natural response to the resurrection. And I think that all of us could be in this place. I don't think that the disciples are any any different than any of us today because when God moves in his plan many times we are oblivious we are just functioning in some kind of doubt and I'm going to explain about doubt in a minute or not even understanding what's going home and we just go home whenever God moves and like he's moving here and we're not focusing or connecting with what God is doing we're always going to return to that familiar place in our life that place where we're comfortable the place that we can control that environment that is that is familiar to us because we are creatures of control, we are creatures of habit, and so are the disciples. And so the disciples here, we see the disciples are exhibiting here doubt. And there's two kinds of doubt that, that I can think of. There's accidental doubt, which is really a, a doubt that, that exists because here the resurrection is functioning against the laws of nature. Uh, I doubt the resurrection here, maybe the disciples are saying, because resurrections don't happen every day. This philosophy or this way of thinking existed about 30 years ago. Today it's a little different, but 30 years ago, the thinking on most college campuses was when you were to ask someone, uh, are, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? They would say, yes, I do, or no, I don't. I'm an atheist or I'm a believer. And this is the kind of... Um, thinking that we saw about 30 years ago. The second kind of doubt is more of a doubt that we see today. It's more of a felt doubt. It's something that I feel or a person would feel, and the disciples were feeling it. Because this felt doubt is against the laws and the feelings of the heart. 
And felt doubt is the kind of doubt when a person says, you know, I believe it if this is going to help me. This is the way a lot of youth are thinking today. A lot of young people are thinking this way. That that's great if you believe in UFOs, but that doesn't help me where I'm at today because I need to pay my electric bill or I need to get money for college or I need a new apartment. A lot of, a lot of young people today are not thinking in absolutes like we are thinking or maybe as the older generation is thinking. And many of us today are subject and victims to felt doubt. The resurrection here never happened before and they're just not feeling the disciples' doubt came due to the unexpected way, the way Jesus was, the way that Jesus had gone through the drama of crucifixion. I just want to take a minute here and talk about doubt for a minute. Do you remember in Matthew 28, verse 17, Jesus is resurrected. He's standing before all the disciples and he's speaking to them. And he says to them, he speaks to them, and then they're worshiping him. And then at the, at the end of the verse, it says it, but many doubted. Did you ever read that verse? I mean, here's the resurrected Christ standing in front of, of them, yet some of them doubted. I think that we don't understand the true meaning of the word doubt. Doubt in the Greek is distazo. And it literally means two ways. It's a figurative word taken either from a person standing where two ways meet and not knowing which to choose, inclining sometimes to one, sometimes to the other. Or it could be described as a quivering motion of balance where the weights on either side are approximately equal. Did you get that? They're standing at a crossroads. They're standing at a crossroads. And what can actually easily happen is, is that happens with us is that doubt is not necessarily unbelief, okay? Doubt is not necessarily unbelief. And I just want to clarify this because I'm going to make an important point about it. Doubt sometimes or very often is confused with unbelief. Doubt can be used by God many times as a bridge from where you're at today with your walk with God or where you're at in your life to bring you across the bridge into maturity. So doubt here is something very interesting. One, one writer puts it this way, God gives our doubt the freedom to ask questions without God being insecure and driving us away. God's not insecure when we live in doubt. When we're at this crossroad and we feel like we have equal weights on each side, like we're thinking, well, you know, the tomb is empty, okay? That's one weight. The other weight is, is Jesus isn't there and I don't know where he is. Uh, maybe we're standing today at a crossroads and, and as Mary we're standing there we don't know what to we don't know how to interpret the situation but God is proactive with our doubt why is he proactive we can see Jesus speak to Mary after he reveals himself to her we're going to read that in a moment and he says go tell my brethren I love that Jesus calls the disciples brethren Go tell my brethren. Jesus is proactive about our doubt. Sometimes we find ourselves in the middle of doubt, and God's going to be very proactive in our life. He's, going to, he's not going to push absolutes on you. You know, God is never demanding people to believe something. God is bringing in the person of Jesus Christ to reveal to, the, to us and to people who he is. God's answer to our doubt is not necessarily giving us the answers that we're looking for, but he gives us a person. He gives us a person. And this is the story here of the resurrection. Let's move on here to verse 11. Um, 
Make sure I'm at the right. Okay. Perfect. Mary stood weeping outside the, outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look down into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. You know, here is Mary, okay? Mary sees the angels. Mary sees the empty tomb, and she's not believing immediately. That's so comforting to me, because when God works sometimes in our life, we just do not see what God's doing. And we're just like, we don't know. We're just overcome with grief, or we're overcome with our emotion. We're overcome with the dominance of the circumstance. We're overcome with the problem. We're overcome with, and that's human nature. That's the way doubt is working. And we're standing at a crossroad, and we don't know how to interpret what's going on. And the angels are asking, why are you, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Oh, okay, and that's the next part. Jesus, this is in verse 14. Let's go to verse 14. Um, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? It's a, it's a second time the question is being asked. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, We remember that Jesus was buried in a tomb next to a garden. This is why she's thinking that this is a gardener. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary. I love how that happens. Jesus speaks her name. I just think that Jesus did not have to do a lot of explaining here. Jesus just had to say her name. Jesus just had to speak her name because there was already a relationship there of just love and intimacy. And uh, Jesus knew Mary. Mary had a story with Jesus. Her life was changed and transformed by Jesus. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. This is just, I think, such an incredible point because the first person that Jesus appears to is a woman. Is that unique? <laughs> if all the women here are smiling, <laughs> Jesus appears to the woman Mary first. <laughs> this shows the respect that the Lord had and the dignity that the Lord had for women. When we look at what's happening in the world today in the Middle East, and even according to the law of Moses, and even Islam, a woman could not even be a witness in a court of law. Women had to wear scarves over their, over their heads, and they could not show their hair unless they would be interpreted to be a prostitute. They had to walk behind their husbands six paces. Uh, women, under the law of Moses and under Islam, were, and even today's society, women are so degraded and so used and... Um, this society, even though there is such an emphasis on feminism and equal rights, women still do not find their same place. They don't find their right place in the eyes of God. Because Jesus here is communicating to us how much he respects and has dignity for him. This is amazing that God chose a woman to be the first witness of the resurrection. Isn't that amazing? That a woman would be someone that would be not a legitimate witness in a court of law. And here's the first one. And uh, in verse 18, 
it says Mary Magdalene went and announced to disciples I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her on the evening of that day the first day of the week the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews Jesus came and stood among them and said to them peace be with you I think this is a group of men here that are struggling with doubt they're struggling with their denial of Christ. Not only did Peter deny Christ, all of them denied Christ and they fled. Uh, we see an utter failure here. We see a total uh, pandemic of failure. And, and this is where the resurrection starts. This is where the miracle of Easter begins. In utter failure, people are focusing and like not living in, are, are living in doubt and they're not living in any type of faith, not even understanding the plan of God. And I think that that can be way it is with us many times that God is moving in our life and we are not seeing it because we are so overcome with what's going on but what is the answer that God has for that God has an answer and that answer is Jesus Christ the person of Jesus Christ the person the person of God in Acts chapter 10 verse 40 um, we see, and you don't need to turn there, we see it explained here as well, that Jesus didn't to appear to the whole world. And this is a very important point. Jesus did not appear to everybody. I think that if I was the coordinator of God's plan of revelation to the whole world, I would say, why don't we just get you a primetime spot on 24, uh, 24-7 cable news? Why don't we get you in the, on the internet? Why don't we get you, why don't we record this? Why don't we get this on you know, on video and post it on social media so that people can see that this is real. God did not choose that Jesus would come in a world where there was so much technology. God chose that Jesus would come at a time when there was just uh, the such a lack of faith and just the abject poverty and the political oppression that Israel was in at the time. This was the plan of God. Jesus did not appear to the whole world. It was more powerful and convincing for Jesus to appear to a few, 120, and then later, uh, uh, later 500. It was more powerful for Jesus to appear to doubters because these later on would have a most persuasive testimony. And their testimony would be, I have seen the Lord. We saw him. First John chapter 1, it says that the word of life whom we've, who we've touched, we've seen, and we've handled with our hands. I have seen the Lord. Why is this more powerful? Because when you have someone tell you something in person that they've been there, that has so much more weight to it, doesn't it? I think it's always amazing when I'm watching on TV or a, a, a well-televised uh, sport event and you have people there with their cameras, phone cameras, and they're just recording. And I'm thinking, why are they doing that? I mean, this is just so, this is recorded quality is going to be so much better on TV or just download it from YouTube. And why, why are they doing that? You know, you have a dignitary walk by and they're just standing there taking a selfie with the, with the dignitary. Why? Because it's so important for human nature to experience that fact that they were there and that they witnessed it themselves. Sitting down and just watching it recorded or televised live even does not even have that same, that same impression if Jesus appeared to the whole world and not to an individual, that would not have the personability or the intimacy of the resurrection that we have. 
Jesus appeared to a small group of people and these small group of people with the power of their testimony saying I have seen the Lord like Mary did is life transforming that is what is the most powerful thing about the resurrection let's move on here and I just want to close with this um, in uh, chapter in, in verse 20 and when he had said this he had shown him that he had shown them his hands and his side then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord and I think that um, this is so incredible that Jesus says peace be unto you I would have imagined that these guys are just under some guilt. You know, they're 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 just they're just so maybe dis- disappointed with themselves, distraught with themselves. And Jesus says, "You know, it's it's all good." And he comes on the scene, the first thing he says is all good. You know, it, we're good. And we're good because my blood has been shed and you don't owe me anything. Peace be unto you. I'm giving you peace. That must have been the most Soothing and the most comforting thing for these disciples because they see his hands, they see his side, they see his feet, and they begin to understand that that their relationship with God in this moment of just utter failure is good. It's been established. I love how God, throughout the Bible, from the book of Genesis to to Revelation, is always showing us that our relationship with him is based on his proactiveness, based on his finished work, based on what he has completed for us. You know, we do not have to ascend to God. He came down in, in Romans chapter 10. He, he descended, he condescended to our level. Uh, he did not ask us to climb any ladders in our spirituality. He, he came down, he just said, receive me, receive me. And this is the closing point I want to make here in this simple message is that we as witnesses we as witnesses have become windows for the whole world Jesus is saying as the father sent me even so I am sending you and we did this Friday night we went downtown uh, we partnered with a, another group a few other groups and we just um, put together some snacks and some food somebody donated uh, 40 40 or so subway sandwiches and we just went down there and we just went under some of the bridges there where homeless live and it was just amazing there were veterans there uh, there were young people there there was people there with HIV positive and this was you know this is this is under an underpass 59 which is right next to the NRG stadium I didn't know where I was until I got on onto the highway and I went up over the onto the highway and I was like oh my gosh I drive over this all the time and I had no idea that these people live underneath this, under this highway. And as we were there, uh, we were just ministering to them, talking with them. And, you know, they were so blessed that people in the flesh and physically came with not just food, but with a message of hope. That, that when life looks so crazy and so bad and so out of control, that Jesus is their presence. And that Jesus loves them. And I, we met some amazing believers there, too. This one guy told me, he said, you know, I don't know, just as we were driving away, this guy came up to the car and he said, I just want to thank you guys. God bless you for doing this because uh, God has his ministers here. And I just think that Jesus would have ministered to them as well as the up and outers. 
We are called to be windows where people, where we walk into people's lives and people can look into our soul and they can see a change. What's going to change people's lives here? What's going to change our lives? I'm going to close with this. What's going to be, what's going to make the difference in our situations when you and I, in a very, in our very simple way can say, you know what? God did this in my life. Okay. God did this in my life. He gave me hope when I had no hope. He gave me peace when I had no peace. He gave me answers in my marriage when I didn't have answers. He gave me wisdom for my teenagers when I didn't have wisdom. God gave me, um, uh, God gave me peace in my heart when I lived in just un- um, incredible amounts of guilt. And you know, all of us struggle with guilt. When Jesus came into the picture, and you know, some people are going to be only coming on Christmas and Easter. But you know something? When we come into this room, you know what Jesus is saying to us today? Peace be unto you. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ. And I think that when we say yes to God, when we say yes to Jesus Christ, that peace comes into our life and it passes all understanding. Why is this important? Why is this important? Why is this important? Because the second kind of guilt is the felt kind where I interpret truth based on what I feel. You know, God may be real, but I don't, that doesn't help me today because I don't feel it. Why is this important? Because there's a day when you and I will be resurrected and we will stand before God. And the question won't be how good you were or how many times you went to church. The question will be, have you received my son, my resurrected son, into your heart, received his blood, received him as your personal savior? And if you have, then you are part of the beloved of Christ. We are going to stand there one day. And I just want to say that Jesus Christ rose from the dead for you and I. He paid for our sins. And it's so great to know that my sin didn't kill God. Isn't that amazing? Well, it did. It crucified Christ, but that wasn't the end of the story. The story is is that God was greater than your sin, greater than your failure. God is greater than all of our unbelief and our doubt. You know, this doubt when we are at at a crossroads and we just don't have the strength to press on either direction. That's okay because God meets us there. Jesus meets us there. Because God is, God is not pulling us. He is leading us and he's wooing us. And Jesus rose and he, he conquered our sin. And it's so great to know that, that when we fail, when we blow it, we can say, you know something? God is greater than that. God is greater than that. And when we start thinking like that with God, he lifts us up out of the guilt, the shame, which is such a human problem. He lifts us up into his amazing nature and his uh, fellowship in the Holy Spirit. He says, he says your name, Mary. He says, John. He says, Peter. He just speaks to us by name. And when things are out of control and we don't know what's happening, I mean, Easter holidays are just hard times for a lot of times for people because people are getting together with family and they have really strained relations. I don't know about you, but... My family's not perfect. <laughs> we get together for the holiday, and it's sometimes kind of interesting. I don't know, any of you like that? Everybody get perfect families here, right? Awesome. When we get together with my family, you know, it's always a little bit like, there's the, there's the strange uncle over there. We don't know what he's all about, but, you know. And it's like, you're, just, you're, trying, to, you're trying to maneuver through all these relationships, and what are we going to talk about while we're eating? And, you know, what part of the room am I going to stand in to avoid that aunt over there? And it's just so interesting. And you know something? We have all of this weirdness going on, but you know something? Jesus rose from the dead, 
and he is greater than the sins of my relatives. <laughs> He's greater than my sins. <laughs> He's greater than everything and all of my failures and everything. He's greater than that. And you know why? That means we can bring to the table, the Easter table, a life that is resurrected. We can bring to the Easter table a, a, a joy, a peace that is bigger than I doubt. And it's okay. It's like, maybe I'm doubting. Maybe I don't know. But God's not insecure. And what's he going to do with that? He's going to reveal Jesus Christ to you in the moment if you're, if you're willing and open to receive it. I just want to ask us to bow our heads as we close. I just want to encourage you that if you're here this morning and maybe you don't know if Jesus Christ is your Savior or not, maybe you've gone to church quite a bit in your life, maybe you are someone that says, I believe in God, Maybe you've never made that personal decision to ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. I just want to say that Jesus will come into your life and he'll turn everything upside down, meaning he'll turn everything upside right. He's going to make everything right in your life. And maybe not everything right immediately, but he'll begin, he'll lead you down the road of just recovery and down the road of answers. Maybe you're here today and you just really need to see God work in your life. Maybe you just need a touch from heaven. Maybe you need to see God work in your, in your family. If you're not saved, if you've not received Christ as your personal Savior, do it this morning. Just say, dear Jesus, you rose for me. You rose for my sins. You rose from the dead. My sin did not defeat you, but you, you beat it. And though I live in doubt and I don't understand, and sometimes I don't feel it, it's okay, I can just stand here and turn around and then Jesus is going to be standing there calling my name. And he's doing that this morning. He's just saying, he's saying your name. And he's just saying, come unto me, ye that are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest for your soul. And that's what we really want. We want to leave here today with soul rest. We want to just hear those words from Jesus Christ, peace be unto you, and just know it's okay as we go into the world and as we go into this next week. If you're here today and maybe you uh, just need some help, maybe you need God to intervene, just humble yourself and say, Jesus, intervene in this situation. And come in and fix this situation. But I think that answers only begin to come when we look to him and just submit to him because Easter is more than just yelling he's risen which he is but it's just encountering an intimate personal savior that meets us at the tomb <coughs> when we don't know what's going on Father we thank you for this time together and thank you Lord for your peace your love Lord we just pray for each person here today and our Easter holiday before us with our families this week that's before us, God. And we just thank you and bless your name. We pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen.